Hey, Wolfie, can you yeah. record something with me, please? Okay. You're going to play with some things on the desk while I record? Okay. If your kids are old enough, you'll know how difficult uh, the conversations can be when they start asking you about what's happening with the weather and what's going to happen with the weather as they grow up. Sometimes the more that they know about the situation, the more difficult those emotions can be, which is understandable because as an adult, it's difficult to deal with, let alone someone with a whole life ahead of them. But what if after considering your options, those conversations pushed you into action, action which saw you turn away from a long and successful career in healthcare, both working with patients and in broader policy? Well, that is exactly what happened to my guest this week. Dr. Monique Ryan is running for election as an independent in the federal seat of Kuyong up against the sitting treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. And that makes this week's podcast one that you just have to hear. Before we get there, we're going to have to play some ads. So if you want an ad-free version of this show, there is one available. I'll tell you about it later on. Um, but it, until that time happens... Um, and I get down! Wolfie needs to get down, and we need to play some commercials. See you in a second. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Lots of people smarter than me have come up with really great solutions for how we can take action on climate change and set ourselves up as an economic superpower in the Southeast Pacific and in doing so increase our soft power on the world stage in terms of our ability to engage with countries like China. In doing so, we'll set our economy up for the next generation or two and beyond. We're incredibly lucky with our natural resources of sun and wind, our low population density, our mineral and ore deposits. You know, it's people like you, Mike Cannon-Brooks and those sorts of people, Saul Griffiths, Ross Garner, they can see that future. The state governments are way ahead and they, they can see what can be done. The federal government has for nine years been telling everyone, you should be scared of this, it's going to cost you, your hip pocket will be damaged by the transition to this new economy, but it's, it's simply not the case. That is the independent candidate for Kuyong, Dr Monique Ryan. I'm going down, I'm going down. That's Wolfgang, I'm Osher Ginsberg, and this is Better Than Yesterday. Welcome to Better Than Yesterday. Uh, I'm Osher Ginsberg. This is Wolfie. Hey, Wolfie. Hi. <laughs> and uh, w- w- he's not here every week, but I'm here every week. Oh, sometimes he's here. You came in on some early episodes, didn't One, you, Wolf? Yeah, you did. Two, and this is a co- this is a podcast that is here to make your day to day better than yesterday. How do we do that? By having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life. 
some of them the best in their field, and every single one of those chats will leave you feeling better than yesterday. And we've been here since 2013. Mondays and Wednesdays, I'm here with a guest. Fridays, I'm here with you. I'm Osher Gensberg. I'm a dad of two kids. Well, dad of one kid, stepdad of another. I'm a husband. I'm a, what else do I do, Wolfie? I drive a car. I ride a bicycle. I'm glad you're here. Thanks very much for listening. I'm very excited to tell you about my guest today. This week, we're speaking with Dr. Monique Ryan. Dr. Monique Ryan is the independent candidate for the seat of Kuyong in the upcoming federal election in Australia. And I'm happy to get it on the show because while not every electorate in the country has an independent running and you may not even get the chance to vote for someone like Monique, it's, goodness, it's just refreshing hearing someone running for parliament speaking with different thoughts and different ideas. Hopefully it might just make us all think about what we would like our local MP to start thinking about as we go forward. You're doing a very good counting there. In our country... Can you count a little quieter for me, please? No. Please? No. Please? No. Please? No. Can you do whisper counting for me, please? Whisper counting, whisper counting. You need a whisper counting? In Australia, we often get tied up with tiny marginal issues where gigantic things like energy or foreign policy so rarely get spoken about. Dr. Monique Ryan is just one of the people running as independents in the upcoming election, and I hope this conversation ignites a little passion in you to, you know, maybe explore who in your area really represents how you feel about the world or what you might want to say to that person in conversations you have with them before you decide about who you're going to vote for. Coming from an incredibly esteemed medical career already, Dr. Monique Ryan has been working as the head of the multidisciplinary Royal Children's Hospital Neuromuscular Clinic and Research Unit in Melbourne, where her team of clinicians and researchers have been dedicated to improving the diagnosis and management of children who are affected by muscular dystrophies, myopathies and neuropathies. Her career path changed quite drastically not long ago when she saw in her son and anxiety about what was coming with our changing climate. This conversation is nothing short of inspiring. You can find out more about Dr. Monique Ryan at moniqueryan.com.au. Enjoy this conversation. Enjoy this conversation with Dr. Monique Ryan. And Wolf, you enjoy your snack, okay? Yeah. Okay, then. It's nice to see you, Monique. How are you today? You too. Yeah, really well, thanks. Yeah, it's it's an interesting process becoming a, a politician. Um, <laughs> I have to develop a slightly more thick skin, perhaps, than I've had in the past. Where do we find you today, Monique? Oh, I'm in my campaign offices in Glenferry Road, Hawthorne, which is uh, the, the headquarters of Team Mon. Yeah. It's extraordinary. It's an old bank which uh, had been sort of decommissioned and was vacant. Uh, And when we moved in, it was a little bit echoey and uh, we all felt a bit just, I don't know, it took us a little while to find our feet here. But the the funny thing is that every day we have more and more people on site. So people come to get a a a, a campaign sign, what we call a core flute, and then they come back the next day to get a T-shirt and then I turn around three days later and they're working on a laptop or they're, doing corporate distribution themselves or they're preparing for an event in the offices. And we've got, we've had to get a second Wi-Fi hub in because we've got so many people working in the in the bank now. It's great. It's really fun. That must be uh, put, put wind in your sails as someone who's going, running as an independent without the backing of a, of a major party in Australia. That's exactly right. So we started really from scratch in terms of this particular group there had been an independent campaign in Kuyong at the last federal election, but most of the team that are involved now weren't actively involved in that campaign. And many of us, including me, had never really been actively involved in a political campaign before. But here we find ourselves with more than 1,300 active volunteers on the campaign and more and more people coming on board. We onboarded 60 new volunteers last night. Wow. And, and more than 2,000 donors to the campaign. It's just this incredible sort of grassroots, Not it's not an uprising, but it's a real, it's such an incredibly strong movement for change and it, 
it is really inspiring. Wind in my sails is exactly the right phrase because, you know, when you do get a bit tired because this is a physically challenging process, you're doing 12 to 14 hours often on your feet, out on the streets meeting people, you turn around and I look at the people who are volunteering with me and it's quite inspiring. So you're a, you're a professor. You uh, mm-hmm. have, have more degrees than anyone could poke a stick at. You've studied all over the world. You worked in Boston. You, you know, you've got awards in your field for days. You're a, an academic researcher. You have explored the incredibly tricky, intricate, life-threatening, mysterious neurological diseases that affect newborns, infants, incredibly emotionally charged sicknesses, and you've mm-hmm. dealt with parents who are looking to you for answers, you're looking at children, you know, trying not to, trying to do, be a good doctor and be, I've got to be objective here, but I've got kids this size. Ah. How would you compare that to what it's like to put yourself out there and go, I'm running for politics? It's very different different to do that because when you're a, a doctor in a public hospital, you're in a certain position and you, I guess, to some extent, you you are afforded you know, it, to some extent, some respect on, on, by virtue of the position that you have and the experience that you bring to the conversation. Whereas when you put yourself out to be a politician, uh, you, you, you are expected to have an opinion on everything, but equally the, the, every person that I run into on the street or on whose door I knock feels that they have the right and the ability to criticise you or to argue on every issue with you from the position of being an equal. So it's a, a quite different situation. And also you're expected to instantly, the moment you put your hand up, to do something like this, to be an expert on a whole lot of different things. So it might be climate change or integrity and transparency or it could be the economy or it could be the situation in the Solomons or in China or the voting age or, you know, injecting rooms or local car parks or bike routes. It's, it's intellectually challenging but it's also sort of both physically and emotionally challenging as well because it really pushes you every day and... Every time I knocked, I've just spent the weekend door knocking in the electorate. Every time I knocked on the door, I wasn't sure what I was going to get. Some people were happy to see me, some weren't. And lots of people wanted to talk about specific issues. And I had to be on top of my game. You have to be on top of your game for hours and hours of every day. Is there anything at all from a life of of research and, you know, tip of the spear kind of solution seeking in the world of paediatric neurology that could has been useful and prepared you for these days you're experiencing? Oh, look, absolutely. Heaps of things. So the first is that I'm used to working hard and working long days and, and, exil- and tiring days. And then I'm used to dealing with large amounts of data, sifting through it, assessing it in a sort of an, an analytic, you know, because I've come from a science background, uh, uh, analysing data in a effective and um accurate sort of a way, not just, you know, believing every second thing that I read. And you do come, you have to take on a huge amount of data, especially when you're sort of beginning this process of being a politician. I also think that, um, you know, I, I come from back when I was managing large teams of people, you know, up to 45 people in, in, the, in the department I was managing at the Children's Hospital. So I have got people management skills. But also I've seen people at their very worst, and I've seen people when they're under extraordinary stress, you know, because perhaps I've told them the worst news they've ever heard in their life. And so I've got the skills from having done that for many years to kind of understand people and to be able to deal with them when they're struggling a bit. And I think I'm a good listener. You know, if to be a, a good doctor, you have to be a good listener. And that is something that I've brought to this role I think to be a good politician, you probably do have to do a lot of listening. So, you know, I've certainly enjoyed that part of things. It's great to be, when you're used to working in a hospital and being in a in a clin- clinical setting, it's it's fantastic to be out on the streets of the, the suburb in which you live and, and mm. getting to meet people and understand what, what they're concerned about and how you could possibly be able to help. 
Uh, both my both my parents uh, were doctors. Uh, Mum's passed away. Dad's still around, but he doesn't he doesn't really work anymore. But so we we were raised by two people who, similar to yourself, they're like, oh well, here's the evidence and here's the treatment, and this is the treatment that we're using. To oh, there's new evidence. Oh, there's new treatment. And then mm-hmm. what they did last week doesn't matter anymore because mm-hmm. the new evidence. And they're like, okay, this is what we do now. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of how my brothers and I were raised, and I'm, I'm grateful for it because it has allowed. I mean, I've had my moments where I've been distracted by every second thing that I read because it is quite convincing and some of those YouTube videos are really well produced. Uh, (laughs) When you are looking at the world through that lens, particularly when you're looking about how the decisions being made on a federal level are affecting your suburb, your kids, what things kind of really strike you to the point where you're like, oh, I'm going to have to do something about this? Well, for me, the major thing was climate change. And I've been aware of it for a long, long time, as many people have, and have had probably a rising sense of anxiety and unease at how our government initially refused to acknowledge that it was real and then more recently have acknowledged that it's real but then really failed to come up with a reasonable and rational plan for action on climate change. And, you know, you can ask yourself what's the the point at which that tips over to needing to do something. For me, there was a a series of things. It was my 13-year-old son's anxiety when he's watching a documentary on on the the Arctic and the Antarctic and the changes there and the changes to the Barrier Reef and to our flora and fauna. So there was that. But then there's COP26 and the government's absolute refusal to negotiate effectively in that form. What I really loved at COP26 is that our stand, is because it's like a big pavilion for the Easter show or the Echo or whatever you have, the Royal Show in Melbourne, our stand was literally a fossil fuel (laughs) pop-up with a fossil fuel company was handing out pamphlets uh, for, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, my God. I think they didn't actually get the memo. about what COP26 was about. And that's just a national embarrassment. And, you know, we're better than that. But it wasn't just that. It was also the way that the government doesn't keep women safe in its own workplace. And, And not only that, has a really cavalier attitude to that and doesn't get that that's a concern. So I have a 21-year-old daughter and I would not work want her to work at Parliament House in Canberra because it's not a safe workplace. And that's just unacceptable for our, our nation's capital. We wouldn't put that up with that in other workplaces. So why do we allow it to happen in what really should be the jewel in the crown? And also working in a public hospital during COVID, having seen the extraordinary stress that that's put on our health system and the heroic ever, um, efforts by doctors and nurses and allied health people and AMBOs and all the other people involved in, in healthcare to engage with COVID, which hasn't gone away. You know, they're still doing that all day, every day as we speak, and then seeing the government's monumental failures to, to deal with that in, in terms of rolling out vaccines effectively and then ensuring that we have effective testing uh, facilities in the last six months and seeing how much we've struggled to make things make ends meet on the balance on the budgets that we have in public hospitals then to see the amount of money that the government's wasting on things which are little import you know it's it's just accumulation of things so for me the the moment that tipped me over was seeing an ad in the paper that said are you the next independent candidate for kuyong but but what 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 got me to respond to that ad was years and years of increasing frustration and, and what I feel is kind of a visceral antipathy to this government. I really feel that they don't reflect me and that they've let us down as a country. It, it seems that we are, as a country, sometimes we are taught to not question or these people, you talked about positions of authority, certainly as a professor in the academic world, or we, you know, I'm just the first year, I can't ask the professor or challenge a professor, you know, this sort of thing. We have this, that our, our government is 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 once elected, they're kind of protected by this. Well, I'm the one who's got the mandate from the 58,000 people in my electorate who say that I can come here and say this because that's what they believe. Mm. Well, 
holding power to account and holding those decisions to account is is super important. And th- that we as Australians kind of have this idea of, well, we, we can't challenge them. They're there. They're the smart people. Apparently, they got elected. I'm just a punter here. I guess I'll just pay this tax or hit this temp duty or no longer get this benefit or have a pothole in my road or have no cycling infrastructure or, you know, I only get 10 treatments of this thing on my healthcare now. I don't, you know, I used to get it all the time and now it's done. Uh, I'm kind of stuck with it. This idea that we're, we're kind of discouraged from challenging power in this country, which yeah. I, I know you lived in America uh, for a while. It's kind of fascinating, mm. the differences there, isn't it? Mm. It is. It absolutely is. But I think people, well, people certainly haven't had any difficulty telling me what they think when they approach <laughs> me or we have a discussion in the street of late, now that I'm sort of declared myself to be a politician. The, the nature of political debate or discussion in this country has really deteriorated in the last few years. And I think as a result of that, people have lost respect for politicians. I mean, people, Australians, are, you know, we're, we're cynical sort of people and I've always you know, had a bit of a joke about politicians. But I, when I was a child, my, I knew my parents respected our local member and they had respect for the people in Canberra and the Prime Minister and stuff like that. I'm not sure that that's quite as true anymore. And there's probably a few things that feed into that. But certainly the fact that they don't behave very well much of the time causes us to lose respect for many of our politicians and that degrades the office, which is kind of a shame because I actually think it's a really important thing to be a politician and to represent your electorate in the in the federal parliament. I, I, that's a position that I actually really respect. Did you have a conversation with your kids before you uh, chose to do it? Um, I did talk about it a little bit. It was difficult because the team, that the, the groups that selected me were very keen that it not get out, like that they didn't want it to be public who they were considering. There were, I wasn't the only person who uh, nominated for consideration and people were pretty keen to keep that quiet. So we couldn't talk about it too much. But, yes, we did discuss it. And they, my, my 13-year-old is probably the one who's most engaged. My, I've got um, a couple of stepchildren who are 18 and 21 and they were, you know, broadly supportive definitely but probably less engaged in that decision. You don't know what you're taking on, though. It's fascinating. I mean, you really I had no idea what I was committing to when I agreed to do this and... I didn't quite understand how all-encompassing it would be. What, so what have you learned so far about what changes when you decide to put your hand up and go, I'm running? <laughs> it turns out these social media accounts, even if they're old and defunct, are still accessible and that you have no secrets at all. You know, <laughs> um, the Liberal National Party has, well, yeah, the Liberal Party has access my old closed social media accounts and, you know, dug out posts from 10 or 15 years ago and and used that to fashion a narrative, which is actually really inaccurate, but it, it, it doesn't reflect reality, but, but they've stuck with it really hard and they're continuing to stick to it really hard. And so that gives a lot of people in the street who read this stuff or hear about it the wrong impression about me. And it's really interesting because that's really deeply unsettling when you think, no, no, that's not right, that's not how it is, that's not how it was, but that's what everyone's adamant, that everyone is saying, no, 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 that's what, it, that's what you are, that's who you are because they've read that in, in the Murdoch press and because, you know, that your opponent has been saying the same thing again and again and again for weeks. You know, the mud does stick even if the mud is inaccurate. You spoke about the volunteers in your office and that 60 people or so out the behind that door we can hear murmuring and to know that across the suburb there's someone in an office working for the Liberal Party who is digging into other people's old social media accounts and figuring out how they can spin it into some kind of smear and that's what they did at work today. Mm. Like you've... I, I... struggle sometimes to sleep at night because of, you know, bills and this and that and the other and La Nina and la, 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 la. But that person's going to bed tonight going, good job, mate. You did a cracking it, Colin. You did a really good job today. Well done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's that. And for me, that part of politics, I 
I don't, I, I don't particularly like that that comes with it. I would like mm. our, as you mentioned, the, the office to have a little more respect, not only from the public, but for each other. I mean, aren't we all in the job? Aren't, is ever, isn't, isn't everybody there in the job for the betterment of everyone in the nation, not just those who vote for mm. their particular party? No. <laughs> You're breaking my heart, right? No, I'm sorry. No, it doesn't work like that. I guess this this starts to beg the question about the, the system itself and what you feel about, I mean, as someone who works at the top end of a, of a department at the Children's Hospital, you probably would have inherited a system that maybe wasn't as functional as you would have liked it. You would have had to adjust that system and figure out how can the best thing we can do with the budget we've got to help the most amount of people at the same time as pushing forward to find different answers. Like you would have had to work quite clearly. What is it about the system that we have, the system of getting pre-selected, getting elected, and, and then the deal-making that happens once you're in, what about that for you needs to change? Well, look, I think that the one thing that has changed, it's changed already, and I think it's been really positive, Rega, um, despite what the major political parties might think, is the rise of the independence. Because what we do is we come from outside the system and we we challenge the patriarchy essentially. We, we challenge the sort of the ruling paradigm. So if you come up to the Labor Party, my understanding is that you have to, I, I guess, be put into a faction or assign yourself to a faction or elect to join a faction. And then you have to join, you have to operate within the directives of that fashion, faction and you know, if you do want to be a politician, then, you know, I, my understanding is I, I have I, I was a member of the Labor Party brief. I've never attended a meeting. I don't really have a great understanding of how it works. But my understanding is that if you want to be elected, then you have to sort of take your turn as for next time that someone from that faction gets to be elected and take that role. So that's just incredibly limiting. And yeah, as an Australian, I've seen Penny Wong, you know, saying that she didn't believe in marriage equality because that's what she was told that she had to say by her party. And I remember feeling extraordinarily uncomfortable and thinking, that's not right. You know, this is an incorrect, this is an intelligent woman who's having to deny her own beliefs because of what her party does, tells you to do that, which is wrong. But then the Liberal Party's as far as I can see, no better. You know, you, you have to do your time, you have to be part of the system, you have to, you know, work your way up and and then if you've done enough stuff for the party, then eventually you'll get pre-selected for a seat and, and which seat you get pre-selected to, for largely seems to depend on your sex. If you're a woman, you get a marginal and if you're a bloke and they think you've got some talent, you get something relatively more safe. So, and that, that whole thing is just, it's flawed It's and, and it just spits out people who are products of a system which I think is really far from ideal, whereas the rise of the independence has seen a whole lot of people like myself who've got lived experience in other sectors, whether it be journalism or the law or commerce or medicine, and we come from outside with lived experience in those sectors and come to the parliament of hopefully as mature people who've got leadership skills and other skills that we can bring to Parliament. And there's quite a few people in Parliament, you know, Katie Allen's one, Mike Freeland is another, who've come from outside Parliament, you know, as doctors and, and really been able to make a contribution. So that's the change I would have liked to see and I think we're seeing it and I, I think the next election will be fascinating because there'll be more of us in after this election than there are now. I can only hope so because what you just described about the, you know, selecting whoever party it is, the major parties in Australia at least, whoever is the one that you see on the ballot, they may not be the best person. Like, like for example, our Prime Minister, you know, the last how many of our Prime Ministers, they've just been the best person that it takes to win that race. They've been the best person that it takes for the last 20 years to be the person that can hustle and push to be to the front of the line. And they may not necessarily be... You know, the, that does not necessarily make them a great leader. Uh, and I, I feel we re we certainly saw that during the, the bushfires. Scott's a very, you know, charismatic person, um, but does it make him a great leader? Probably not. We've also had the elected leaders deposed on several occasions by their own parties, and that happened with, with Rudd, Gillard Rudd, and then it's happened with Abbott Turnbull Morrison, Mm. So, you know, we have elected a prime minister and then the party has decided, actually, no thanks, you can have someone slightly different. Here's one we prepared earlier. 
same. <laughs> That sort of democratic process has been subverted by the major parties. The reality is with an independent, what you see is what you get, and, mm-hmm. and, and we can be honest about what we think. There are limits to what we, we can say because you, it's, it, you don't have the whole political structure behind you and you can't have a well-developed policy on everything when you come to this position from a standing start two or three months before, but... But, but you can be honest and you can be a, a bit more accountable and then if, if I get it wrong, my electorate can have a go at me and I won't be able to blame it on the National Party or, you know, the, the, the marginal person, person from a marginal seat in Queensland or whatever. I'll just have to, to take it. It'll be on me. So let's say, you know, come May the 22nd, uh, you are, uh, you're the member for Kuyong. All right, yeah. and then uh, your first week at work, there's a knock at the door. Let, let's say the Liberal Party gets back in, and it's Angus Taylor knocking on the door, going, "Hey, uh, Monique, we really need your vote to get over the line here. We're trying to, you know, push this coal railway um, right to the coast there in Queensland. Um, it's jobs and growth. And um, what can I do for you to help you say yes to it? Like, w- what do you say to that? If, if they need my help." the Liberal National Party or the Labor Party, if they need my help because I'm part of, I am the person or I'm part of a group of people who have the balance of power, you will have had this discussion already about what I will and will not agree to. And for me, the single most important issue is climate change. So I will not do anything that's going to have a negative impact on our emissions uh, in the near future. And, in fact, I will be taking... Going the other way, I'll be taking every step that I can to reduce our carbon emissions. So anything that I, any proposal that would be put in front of me would be looked at through that prism. I'm, I'm happy to hear that because it means that your eyes are open and you see what is in front of us all. <laughs> yeah, it's being so incredibly ignored and it, it causes, as you mentioned, it causes this anxiety and I really resonate with your um, your youngest uh, anxieties. It really gets the feeling like both mum and dad are, talk, uh, are turning around from the front seat and screaming at us, but no one's got their hands on the wheel. And it's mm. like, come on, guys, come on. You've really got to sort this out. And it's when you're looking at the prism of climate, through the prism of climate change, how does, you know, perhaps economic decisions, um, how, do, how do economic decisions get weighed up? Yeah, that's really important. But, you know, I don't see them as being separate from the environmental decisions because lots of people smarter than me have come up with really great solutions for how we can take action on climate change and set ourselves up as an economic superpower in the southeast Pacific and, in doing so, increase our soft power on the world stage in terms of our ability to engage with um, countries like China. You know, we, we, we've, we're incredibly lucky with our natural resources of sun and wind, our low population density, our mineral and ore deposits. We should be just using them locally. We should be trying to divest ourselves of our dependence on um, processing and the like outside of this country. In doing so, we'll set our economy up for the next generation or two and beyond. Um, you know, it's people like you, Mike, Cannon Brooks and those sorts of people, Saul Griffiths, Ross Garner, they can see that future. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of gobsmacking that the state governments are all ahead of the federal government on this. The, the state governments are way ahead and they, they can see what can be done. It's, the federal government has for nine years been telling everyone, you should be scared of this, it's going to cost you, it will, you know, your, back, your hip pocket will be damaged by the transition to this new economy, but it's, it's simply not the case. And once people understand that, they're going to feel so much better about themselves. As you said, the technology is all there. We might need a little bit of, you know, it'll get shushed, it'll get improved, but it's all, it's all doable. When you, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the, the, the factional nature of some political parties and, you know, people being a bit grubby, trawling through your old social media accounts, uh, that, um, attitude does spread to, you know, we've all we've all seen it. Um, you know, various liberties taken with the definitions of ethics, uh, shall we say? How important to you is a uh, independent uh, corruption body in the Australian government system? That's it. The second part that the the development of an independent 
Commission, Anti-Corruption Commission is absolutely vital and it's the second part of the platform on which I'm standing. So is action on climate change and that. But that's going to need to be, it's going to need to be a fairly wide-ranging thing because there's so many issues, so many areas that we need to look at. And so I think an ICAC, people sort of think an ICAC's just going to look at, you know, corruption and government spending. And, yeah, sure, that's important. But it also needs to look at, I think it's the best probably means of looking at things like the failure of our aged care system in, in the last 10 or 15 years, which the failures of which have been exposed by COVID but which predated it. Uh, it also looks at healthcare and how we're going to provide healthcare for the next 10, 15, 20 years, given that the extreme increase in costs of that and, and just the flawed model between the states and the federal government. Let's look at childcare and the fact that we really do need to have universally funded childcare and that that will really improve gender equity in this country, but also will get better people into that industry and keep them longer. Um, the ICAC will look at all those sorts of things. But I hope it will also look at things like how it came to be that we were spent, we are spending $101 million a year to keep 100 refugees on the road. Because you're not telling me that there's not some dirty deals back there. And I think an ICAC or, you know, a, a branch of an ICAC will eventually, I hope within the next three years, take some action on electoral reform in this country and political donations because the system is broken there as well and it's gotten completely out of control. And the amount of money that's being spent on the forthcoming federal election is eye-watering and it's wrong and we need to change the way that we hold elections and the way that we run politics in this country. But it's kind of it's deeply corrupted. There's international transparency indexes looking at you know, the degree of corruption in a country, and Australia has plummeted on those in the last 10 years. Really? Mm. That's, it's, it's, such a, it's such a shame for I'm, I'm sure that like any, you know, you know, that there was that, I don't, I don't know, I can't remember if it was Packer or, or, or someone like that who paid no tax one year. And mm. there was a commissioner who goes like, everything I did was to the letter of the law. Like I mm. just followed the law. And mm. so, like, the, the whole, the systemic change that needs to take place, like, I'm sure that the people who are accepting donations right now are all above board. They're like, no, it's absolutely fine that I can take this and not have to tell you who it's from. I, I don't know if I agree with that. Uh. Well, but there's lots of ways that you can subvert that. You don't have to take a donation. You can come round to my house and um, pay $10,000 for dinner, and that's not a donation, so it doesn't have to be declared because you've just come round for dinner but you've paid me $10,000. You know, Mr. Frydenberg in my seat has a private fund called the Kuyong 200 Fund and he's received $2.8 million into that fund in the last five years. That's a matter of public record. But what is not a matter of public record is who has given him that money. I don't believe that those people have given him that money without expecting something in return, but there's no transparency about that. So it's not just about reforming how much people can give in political donations because that's only a very small part of the picture. The whole thing needs to be looked at and reformed. There's, there really is that idea of, uh, you know, I have, you know, people, I, you know, charities and such that I donate to, but all I want to do is like, well, I can't do that. I'm not good at that, whether it be finding water or, you know, Mm. campaigning for this, but I know these people can, so take my money and do something good with it. Mm. But I guess there's a certain threshold of cash where you're like, come on, man, remember that $110,000 or you know, remember that that kind of like three shell companies deep blind trust that's got shares in this thing for your grandson? Remember that? Mm. How about, you know, mm. how about mm. you lean on this thing for me, mate? Come on. Like, and that, that, sort, of, that sort of stuff is you'd really want, I don't know how you'd even begin to unpack it, Monique. I don't even know how you'd start. Well, that's why you have an ICAC because those people yeah. know how to, how to unpack these things. Yeah, it's it it's so, so very, very important. That whole mm. blind trust thing last year was just like, you're joking me. Mm. I just, like, I, it boggled my mind that that was totally fine. Still fine. Did you know it's fine? It's absolutely fine to lie in political advertising. Pardon? It's absolutely fine to lie in political advertising. What, what's an example, please? 
well, you know, I could put out an ad. It, it, once the election's called, if I'm if I'm putting out a, a, a political advertising ad, I could say, you know, yeah, Mr. Frydenberg is, you know, he could be something really, really bad. I could say anything about him, but if it's part of the political advertising, it's fine. That is bananas. And it's extraordinary. But that's just the law. That's the way it is. And, you know, there's lots of things about this system that when you you, you, you find out that that's the case, and that was a case last time, like with the last election, the, the Liberal Party put out some some signs in Kuyong, in this electorate, in purple, which is the colour of the Australian Electoral Commission's advertising, but they, they were in Mandarin and they said, this is how you vote Liberal. So it was very, 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 very official. Like the Australian Electoral, like the signs from the Australian Electoral Commission which said, come here, come here, move there, move there. But there's like, there's ones who are in Mandarin saying, this is how you can, you know, complete your voting card so as to vote Liberal. And it was illegal. They, they were actually illegal, but they were, and it was, they were taken to court about it, but they got off because it was found not to have materially affected, influenced the result of the election. Oh. But that's very, really sneaky. The member in our area, he's been on this show, Dave Sharma's been on this show. Uh, you look over the, all over the city uh, in other seats, the, the Liberal Party posters look very, very different. Mm. Uh, his has a particular font and a particular mm. colour scheme mm. and it came out two weeks after our local independent who's running mm. Allegra Spender put hers out. Mm. Same font, same colour mm. scheme, same, you know, graphic design. It's like, mm. and the tiny little Liberal logo in the corner. It's like, come on, guys. Come on, Look, man. Mr. Frydenberg has many billboards around Kuyong and the background to them have, has been becoming slowly more teal over the last couple of months. <laughs> he actually put in a, he put out a flyer a couple of weeks ago, a, an attack flyer against me, and that had a teal border as well. We will be back with Dr. Monique Ryan in a little moment or two. I did say before that there is an ad-free version of the show available, and that is for people who support the show on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Osher uh, is where you can find us. There's a bunch of different tiers, uh, the lowest of which, and all of them, involve uh, ad-free episodes, but there's also full video episodes which are going up each week, and we're very, very stoked about the feedback there. So if you want to see the conversations that I have with my guest, Andy's been cutting them up, they're fantastic, you can get on board there, and it really helps. It really, really helps us, okay? It's a massive, massive help if you can... Um, support the show through Patreon. If the show does bring you value and you don't have five bucks to spare through the week, that's fine. Totally get it. Just tell someone. Tell someone about this this show. If you know anyone, for example, if you know anyone that lives in Kuyong, you may want to forward them this episode and go, hey, have a listen to this. She's running in your area. What do you reckon? That's something you can do. I just tell a mate. Tell a mate about it. That's all we'd ask you to do. In a moment, uh, we'll hear Dr. Monique Ryan again, but for now, we have to play some ads. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So when you're in that seat and you walk around and you speak to people, these people clearly they grew up there or they have family there. The values of their families have been reflected by the person who's sitting in that seat clearly for so long. They've been voting them the whole time. How... I'm assuming the people haven't changed that much. So how has the party changed so it's starting to not really reflect what's important to the people anymore? And why then is this your moment that, well, actually, no, these people want what I'm giving, not what he's giving? I actually think it has changed a bit. It's um, Things have changed a bit, so it's a combination of things. The first is that the electorate has changed. So 
there's 5,000 young people voting in this election who've never been voted, who've never voted before. This is the first election in which more baby boomers, so more um, millennials will vote than boomers um, mm. in Keong. Um, there's also been some, a couple of little extra bits added to the electorate that weren't as part of a recent redistribution, plus there's probably more high-density housing in some parts of the electorate than there used to be. So there is a population change. And where I live, which is kind of unprecedented, I've got a Greens councillor and a Labor state member, which is just unheard of for this part of the world. But the, the second thing is that this is not the Liberal Party of old. So Keong has been held by your, your classic small-L Liberals, true Conservatives like Robert Menzies and then more recently by Andrew Peacock and Petro Giorgio. But, but the, Petro Giorgio, who was the member before Josh Frydenberg, crossed the floor on refugees. Josh Frydenberg has never crossed the floor once in his time in Parliament Petra was a, a man of moral stature and a man who's still very much respected in this electorate. And then if you go back to Peacock and, yeah, Andrew Peacock was the first person in 1990 to take a climate change, take climate change to an election. So he wasn't a climate change denier. That was 32 years ago. You go back further, Robert Menzies was deeply, deeply committed to universities and the arts. This, this Liberal government has eviscerated the universities and it's, torn millions and millions of dollars out of arts funding. So this is not the Liberal Party of old. And that's one of the reasons why people are frustrated because this this version, this, you know, 2022 version of the Liberal Party doesn't reflect what they expect. So my volunteers, you know, the 1,300 brave and bold volunteers, I've got vice provosts of universities, I've got senior academics, senior lawyers, senior doctors, got basic scientists and then I've got actors and, and musicians and, you know, I've got people who are trans and people who are gay who also feel that this government doesn't reflect them or doesn't respect their interests. And then I've got Asian people who feel that Chinese Australians have been racially vilified and marginalised in the last couple of years. So there's a whole lot of people who feel that this Liberal government no longer really reflects their values and what matters to them. It's not like you're having to really reinvent the wheel are you? you're just like no i'm just from this community and i feel i feel the same way about a lot of things that people in this particular part of the city feel and i'm prepared to stand up for them on a national level it's not like you're coming with some radical shifting change are you well to some extent but you know there are there are still huge numbers of rusted on liberal people who've always voted liberal their whole life and to be challenged on that and to be asked to think about that is for some of them a little bit difficult um, and plus the my opponent has uh, painted me as a fake independent or a member of a de facto party, he said that we are really a party. And then separately he said that really we're just Labor Party stooges. I still don't know what a stooge is. I've been trying to work it out for two Iggy months. Pop's band, the Iggy Pop's band. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I wish. But, um, no, it's really fascinating because I had this, you know, Labor Party membership from 15 years ago. You know, that's the whip that they keep using to. Yeah. Um, but that they say I'm a student. I think that what they're suggesting is that 15 years ago the Labor Party told me to go into deep cover and <laughs> to uh, to do nothing else and, you know, try and find yourself a different career and then we'll roll you out again in 15 years' time as a sort of Manchurian candidate. As far as I can see, you know, the Labor Party Labor Party does not have that power of planning. You know, I don't think that they're quite that smart and quite that sneaky that they would have been up to that. It seems implausible to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but as you mentioned, all you need is the is is the, a big enough font with the scary enough words to get yeah. it amplified by some yeah. mates in the media, and then you yeah. say it again and again and again and again and again and again and again, and it's hard. All, all you're doing is putting an association with your name with something that doesn't even need to be true. Yeah, but, you know, you exactly put association right. with your name with that and then it's very hard to break that first uh, neurological connection. I can't believe mm. I just told use the word neurological connection to you, but no, you know what I'm saying. No, you, you've got it right. No, you're exactly right. It's just the power of repetition. You know, labor stage, labor stage, labor stage, labor stage, labor stage. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. yeah. 
No. Um, so as people, like, I, I'm, I'm so stoked to speak with you. I spoke with Kylie Tank a couple of weeks ago, and I, um, I'm speaking, hopefully speaking with Allegra Spender in a mm-hmm. couple of weeks from now. Mm-hmm. Not everyone lives in Kuyong, uh, nor does everybody live where a an independent, uh, like a viable independent, yeah. Uh, is is running. Yeah. But what can people in other parts of the country think about when it comes election day? If they don't have an independent to vote for, what can they do between now and then with the options that they have in front of them on the ballot paper? Well, everyone has, your, your vote is your voice. So you have to express yourself as best you can with that single voice. And you might not have an independent, you said, but you, you probably have someone who's... Sits, um, similarly minded in some way. It might be someone from the Resin Party or Greens or, you know, most people will have at least one option for a protest type vote if that's what they're after. I mean, I don't think of myself as being just a sort of protest rump. I think of myself as being a viable alternative. If people are interested, they can help out. A third of my volunteers are from outside Kuyong. And actually a third of the donations, more than a third of a don- oh, yeah, about a third of the donations, I think, have come from outside Kuyong. So I've got people from all over Melbourne coming to help on my campaign because, you know, often they say, well, I'm in Melbourne and Adam Vance, you know, he's fine or I'm in Jagajaga and that's safe or I'm in, you know, whichever other seat and they don't need my help. So people, you actually can go help even if you're not actually in the electorate or you can donate or you can just become active in some other way locally for one of the issues that concerns you. So, you know, the, the one of the groups that recruited was involved in my sort of recruitment process was a prominent local climate group which has been around for 20 years and is really well respected in the community. You can still be a part of that even if you don't have a, an independent in your seat. You know, and, and this independent movement it's very interesting because it's, it's sort of like, it's almost like weeds, you know. There's one popping up here and one popping up there, but we're not actually related to each other. It's just that we all sort of come from the same sort of seed. Um, and so people say, well, why haven't I got an independent in my seat? And it's like, well, because people in your seat didn't get together to start that movement. But you could do that. You could start your own voices of whatever movement. There is a manual, you know, you can, which was written by Kathy McGowan's sister. You can get that and start it. Voices of Kuyong only started at the start of last year, a year ago, and here we are now, 1,300 volunteers on a, on a federal election campaign that's looking like it's a serious threat to the incumbent. That is, it's must be so exciting yet at the same time, uh, so so challenging. Are you, are you able to look after yourself? You're able to get sleep? Are you eating right? Yes, my husband, I have to say, has been an angel. He's the one who's getting dinner on the table most nights and making sure that the kids are well and looked after. I swim three, three or four times a week. I'm not getting to do any other exercise at the moment, but the swimming's really good for the mental health and I see friends there. And, you know, it's, it's like you're running a marathon. This is only another six or seven weeks. So, you know, we can see the finish line. Um, it's, it's a fascinating process. I'm so grateful to hear that you've got so much support. I guess people, who they all feel very similar to you and they are able to channel their wants and desires through the, helping you achieve what it is that you, you want to achieve because they feel that you, you do speak for them. And that, as you mentioned earlier, that would give you, that would give you a bit of a spring and a step after a, after a, a long day. Mm. Um, when it comes to election Saturday, will you be mm. uh, will you be on a barbecue? Will you be buying a sausage? What's the what do you think you'll be doing? I don't know. It'll be so interesting. I mean, that just thinking about that day, a little sort of frisson of anxiety and then fear and excitement all at the same time. I think I'll be Edwina everywhere on the day, and then we are trying to work out what to do that evening because. If, you know, usually I think only the really big campaigns have a big party afterwards, but we've got 1,300 volunteers. And if I get elected, Kuyong's going to go off. <laughs> yeah, and you don't, even have, you don't even have to wait for the end of the night. When Greeny calls it, Greeny calls it. And then... But he might, I don't, I don't know. It's, I think it's going to be super close. It might not be called that night. <laughs> yeah, and I'm an old person. I have to go to bed early. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. 
It's going to be so interesting. I think it's the most interesting election in such such a long time. It really is. And even if people, as you mentioned, even if people can't vote for an independent in their area, there are things that they can do. They can support independents in, in nearby seats. Or, And as I say it all the time, who have you got to work with? Literally pick up the phone and say, I'll vote for you, mm. yet this is what's important to me. And, mm. you know, it's thinking about, like, are you going to vote for someone who can't vote ar- around party lines? Because that's going to suck. You know, mm. our, our our local, he, he talks a big game on climate and he's very clever. He knows mm. a lot. But at the end of the day, he votes exactly, he votes with the God team. He votes with the team. And it's mm. like, oh, man, that must break your heart. That must break your heart to do that. But does it? I mean, that's the thing. You, you, you declare we're defined by our actions, not by our words. Mm. So... Dave Sharma is a bit like Josh Frydenberg. They're seen as reasonable men and moderates and, you know, often I, the phrase I hear is the best of a bad lot. But you're defined by your actions and you've voted, if you've voted 97 to 90% of the time with with Barnaby Joyce over three, six or nine years, as, as have Dave Sharma and Josh Frydenberg, you know, I think you have to be held to account on that. It's, it's, it's tough, you know, because where he... He crossed the floor on the um, uh, sex discrimination bill, which yeah. uh, I was really happy about. But oh. th- that thing was horrible and it hurt a lot of people that I love and I'm sure hurt you love, hurt people that you love. But when the words, and we have to bring this bill to the floor because it's a promise that we made, um, that just rang true to some backroom bullshit that just made me sick to my stomach. Uh, mm. Monique, so yeah. do you think right? Like the as you mentioned, like the electoral reform that you were speaking about earlier. The idea of like how can we overhaul this idea of like that right now? Someone's going to dinner, spending ten grand, dropping cash, and then it's going. Don't worry, mate. I'll make sure that no gay kids end up in your son's school. <laughs> like just, oh my god, I don't know. it's just it's twenty twenty two. Promise that they made. You know, they made a promise to the Australian electorate before the last election that they would bring a bill on an ICAC in this electoral cycle, and they didn't keep that promise. So I think we're being a little bit selective about what they're producing or what they're presenting us yeah. with at this point in time. You, you talk on my language with the uh, with the childcare for everyone, like that sort of thing. It's it, it's it's not like we're reinventing anything. Like this sort of thing has been shown overseas to have enormous impact on economies and just bring such a different pool of ta- talent into the workplace and just help people thrive. You're like it When you frame it in that way and you're framing us for, you know, setting up the economy for the future it's mm. um it's it's such an important thing and mm. and you know where you stand on climate and and where you stand on corruption I, I i i don't think i'm sort of some sort of screaming lefty by saying that sounds like a good idea mm. like it just it just sounds like the right thing to do you know yeah, it, does. it just sounds yeah. like the right the, the right thing to do because in my you know I don't believe in an interventionist God, but I like to think that I have a moral compass that's pretty just right mm. and those three things mm. that seems pretty fair mm. and if we're a country that prides itself and like we are the ones who give it a fair go well how about we do that mm. and also play nick cave in parliament house quite a lot yeah thank you for okay. dropping, picking up thank yeah. you very much for picking that one up Monique, right? no worries. i'm not in keong so i can't vote for you but have a cracking day uh on whatever election day is and thank you for making time and your extraordinarily busy schedule for doing this i really really appreciate it it's a pleasure love to meet you thanks for the chat That was Dr. Monique Ryan. You can find out more about her, moniqueryan.com.au, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E-R-Y-A-N.com.au. Thank you so much to everyone that made that show happen. Uh, Obviously, she's campaigning at the moment and it was quite tricky to uh, lock in some time with her, but we were very, very thrilled that we were able to do that. Uh, Not the last politician we'll have on before the election. I know I've been pretty heavy uh, politics-wise as far as guests go, but... I'm just speaking my truth, you know. I have an ability to, to do this show and I'm, I get a lot of messages both through email and DMs that the conversations are resonating with them and they're inspiring kind of different thought patterns around, you know, who they might vote for or thinking about this election and I'm just really grateful that, I, that I'm able to do it. And, uh, yeah, it's got less than a month left and we're on, we're voting. 
and it's important. And I, I'm trying to have these conversations in a way that doesn't suck. You know, I'm trying to have conversations in a kind of nuanced way, which is so is so missing from the current discourse in our in our country around politics. But I'm I'm hoping it's okay. Send us your email at gmail.com is how you can find me. There's also a Facebook group with lots and lots of people that listen to the show where you can have conversations about the episodes and, and what's going on. We're back here on Wednesday with a, an older episode and having a revisit there, and I'll talk to you again on Friday. Thanks for being a part of the show. Thanks for letting Wolfgang be a part of the early part of the show. And a big thanks to Andy, who had to probably cut a lot more than he usually does around a toddler wanting to join in on the show there. Big thanks to Bree Steele on research and support, uh, Mike Mills on music, and, of course, uh, Rachel Barrett, my executive producer of everything. Thanks so much for listening. Send us your email at gmail.com or subscribe to the emails that I send out uh, anywhere at osherginsberg.com. There's a box in the bottom of the page where you can subscribe. I'll see you on Wednesday. Until then, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. 